can welcome him to the front. Check, check. Am I on? We good? Think so? I get loud anyway, so I don't know. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 3. While you're turning there, it's it's an honor to be with you this morning. Uh, It's always a pleasure to open the sacred scriptures, uh, like any pastor or or speaker that's here. Um, While you're turning there, I I just want to say this. Um, I have really enjoyed getting to come alongside our D group leaders this year. And for those of you in D groups, I just want you to know that it takes a little bit of guts to do what your D group leaders are doing, to step out and attempt to uh, invest and to lead to spiritual discussions uh, with peers. And I just want you to know that if, if you are enjoying uh, your time with your D group leader, that when you get a chance, whether it's in the hallway or after your D group today, tell them thank you. They don't need, they don't have to have that. They don't need that. But it's nice to know that when people are investing in you, that, that you care, uh, that you bless them in some way, even if it's verbal. I mean, if you want to give them money, that's great too. That's a separate thing. You don't have to do that. But at least a thank you or a thank you very much for this, you know, because they do care about you. We, we, they pray for you. We, we get together and pray. And so we're just excited about this whole D group opportunity. I have a confession. Um, my text today is rather lengthy. And, I, and when Gordon originally handed it to me, I was struggling with it because I have three separate accounts. And at Grace Bible Fellowship, that's three different weeks of 45-minute sermons. And I've got about 25 minutes. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the text. I'm going to summarize two of them. But I'm going to focus on our first passage, if you will, the calling of the 12 this morning. I also want to encourage you tonight, if you're, if you're not a part of a local body, that you need to be in church. And so whether if Wednesday night, if you want to go to Heartland, if you want to go to community, uh, you can come with us at Grace Bible Fellowship. We're at 630. We'll feed you at 630. Uh, but wherever you need to be in a local body somewhere. And I just, I just want to say that. Mark chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 13 through 35. Luke writes, and he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying he is possessed by Beelzebub. And by the prince of demons, he cast out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? 
If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Let's open this morning in prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning as we open the sacred text. And we thank you for an opportunity at a, at a Christian school to do just that to hear the Word of God, to preach the Word of God, to learn the Word of God, to sing the truth of God. And Father, I pray this morning that the Word of God will not return void. I thank You for the, for the people that You have brought to NC, not just student-wise, but leadership-wise and teacher-wise. And Father, I pray that our Bible teachers will continue to teach truth and that our teachers will continue to live out and speak truth and, and that through all of this, that somehow that the Word of God will not return void that you would open blind eyes and do what only the Spirit can do, which is bring men to yourself. Help us just to be faithful instruments of a holy God. We love you, and we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name, amen. Planning is important. In fact, if you're going to have a successful business at any level, it's important that you have a game plan. You know, if you're going to start a new business, you need to figure out what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Where are we going to get supplies? And, and you need to kind of be organized to, if you're going to move in that matter. Because if you're not, things won't go well. You know, if you, if you want to start a business and, and you're going to sell X, but you don't know how you're going to get the stuff to do it, or, and you don't have ways to do this, or X, Y, and Z, it, it's going to be a disaster. It's important that you have a plan in place. When we come to the Gospels, we need to understand that God has a plan. And that God's plan is to get glory among the nations. That's the chief end of man, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So God's plan is to get glory among the nations. And in order to do that, what He has purposed to do is to send the Gospel out so that through it, that people would repent and believe. Now in order for the Gospel to go out, what God's plan is, is that He's going to send His Son, and His Son is going to make disciples. And what those disciples are going to do are going to replicate what He does so that the Gospel continues to go forward. In fact, you and I, if you're here, and you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're here because you heard the Gospel from somebody. Somebody, somebody was discipled, they shared the Gospel, you believe, and now our responsibility in turn is to go and to open our mouth so that others may repent and believe, so that others may see and live. Our purpose this morning in our passage 
is to see Jesus call the 12 disciples. And we're going to simply see what that means for us today. I have three points, if you will, if you want to write them down. I'm going to go ahead and give you all of it. In fact, e-group leaders, d-groups, I literally sent you my sermon notes today just so you can see a sneak peek of what usually a pastor's notes will look like. There's three points this morning. Number one, what do disciples do? What do disciples do? Number two, who can be a disciple? Again, what do disciples do? Who can be a disciple? And finally, our third point, not everyone who claims to be a disciple is a disciple. Not everyone who claims to be a disciple is a disciple. If you want a message title, it's simply Jesus Calls the Twelve. Up to this point, we have been going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark, and I think um, Tim and Gordon and others for the, the choice to start going these pastors exegetically verse by verse through the Bible. I think you're going to get more out of Scripture that way. That's how we function at, at Grace Bible Fellowship. I know that other churches do that as well. But in the Gospel of Mark, if you recall, the purpose of the Gospel of Mark in the beginning is that Jesus is the Son of God. And so for the rest of the Gospel of Mark, Mark is laying out this argument to these Roman believers that Jesus truly is the Son of God. It starts with uh, John the Baptist's ministry. Then we go quickly into Jesus' baptism, the temptation, and the, the beginning of His ministry. We see Jesus call His first disciples, if you will. And then we see Jesus do several miracles. We've seen to this point that Jesus has the authority to heal and uh, the, the sicknesses and diseases. That Jesus has the authority to um, uh, over unclean spirits or demons. We've seen Jesus preach. We've seen Jesus heal a leper. And in, and in, J, and in uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 1-12, through 12, we get the story of the paralytic, which is a really interesting story because in it we see that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. There's other accounts here in this, in this Mark 2 through the end of, end of like 3-6 where Jesus goes head-to-head -head with the religious leaders. And that leads us to where we're at right now. In fact, what's rather, rather interesting from last week's passage, if you will, um, is that when Herod rejects him, we get these interesting words. Gen uh, sorry, Mark 3, 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him about how they destroy him. So we're not even three full chapters in and we realize that the people want Jesus, that some people want Jesus dead. Now we come to our passage for today. I'm going to look at verses 13 through 18. The first thing we need to understand is what is a disciple? Look at verse number 13, if you will. So Jesus says, And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. He's going to call his disciples. So we have to define our terms now. What is a disciple? A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. In a practical sense, it's someone who sits under someone else and basically is fed from them a, a trade or concepts or a teaching or a religious, whatever it may be. It's someone who sits under another. It's a follower, a learner. 
Now, from a spiritual standpoint, if we're going to be followers of Christ, it's someone who has repented of their sin. They've agreed with God that they are sinful and they've turned from their sins and they've trusted in Christ as their Savior. In fact, it says in verse uh, verse number 13, and he went up to the mountain, he called to those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed 12 whom he named apostles. The term apostle simply means a sent one. Now, I'm not going to go into it lengthy-wise because this is a unique account. We do not have modern-day apostles. To be an apostle, you must be personally commissioned by the resurrected Jesus Christ. These men were personally commissioned by Jesus to go out. They are the disciples. And what is their purpose? Their purpose is to learn from Jesus and one day... When Jesus is gone, although they don't understand this yet, they're going to carry on the message. That's why I love the biographies of Luke and Acts. Luke gives us the story, and Acts tells us what the followers are going to do. So what do disciples do? There's three sub-points here you need to understand from our text today. Number one, let's look at verse number 13 again. And he went up to the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and might send them out to preach. Number one, disciples spend time with Christ. In our current text, these disciples will literally walk with Jesus talk with Jesus, spend time with them. They're going to go to bed. They're going to eat with them. They're going to do all this stuff, right? They're going to watch. They're going to listen. So when John writes in 1 John to these believers years later about how they can trust Him, he says, that which was from the beginning, which, we, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, and our hands have touched concerning the Word of life. They've been with Him. You say, well, Pastor Clint, we're supposed to be disciples. Jesus calls all of us to be disciples, but I don't get to see Him. How can I spend time with Him? Well, we spend time with Him not physically present with us. We spend time with Him in the Word. I don't have time to jump to John 15, but if you've been through the Gospel of John with anybody, you know that in John 15, Jesus tells them, you need to abide in Me. And then He defines what that means to abide in Me. If you abide in My words and My commandments and in My teaching. So we spend time as believers with Christ when we are in His Word. We do this privately. We do this at home. We do this wherever. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to be soaking in the Word of God because in it we find truth, we find hope to encourage our souls. We find out how we are supposed to live our lives. But we also not just do it privately, we're supposed to be in it corporately. Look at me in the eyes. Hear this plainly. You are commanded as a believer to be in a local church. God has given you the church for your edification. The church is not just a social club where you get to come and hang out and do this or that. No, no, it's a body of believers that you get to be committed to, to love one another, to link arm in arm. I need other brothers and sisters around me to help me push towards Christ-likeness. And we need to help others do the same. There's no I in this. There's no I in Christianity. 
Anybody who says, well, I just read my Bible at home, I don't need the church, doesn't read their Bible because the Bible says you need to be the local church. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. How can we be a disciple or a follower of Christ if we neglect to spend time in the Word of God? Because our, our, one of our main things is to listen, to, to hear, and to apply what we've learned. A disciple sits under, and then they go and do it. But if we're not hearing, I'm not really following. Not only do they spend time with Christ, number two, they declare Christ's message. Look at verse 14 again. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. Well, what's Christ's message? I'm glad you asked. Look back at chapter 1. Turn one page over. In Mark 1, verse 14, Jesus is starting his ministry. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Remember, gospel means good news. And saying, verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Do you know what John the Baptist's message was? Repent and believe. Do you know what Jesus' message is? Just repent and believe. Do you know what our message should be? Well, if you've got time for it, maybe you should consider it. You know, do your own thing. Just repent and believe. In Luke 4, I'm going through Luke right now with our church. In Luke 4, Jesus goes to his hometown, the synagogue, and he makes the statement that all of redemptive history is tied to him. And it goes over so well that they want to kill him. Disciples don't get to pick their message. Hear me clearly. The gospel is not a buffet. I know this is no secret. I am pro-buffet. A buffet, I know they probably haven't had these in a while. It's like pre-COVID. It's like back in the 80s. Like You remember way back when, when we had buffets? And I told the church just recently, uh, my, ki- my family after church, we'd go to this place called Sirloin Stockade. It was a steakhouse. And I, when we would go to the buffet and you know, little old Clint with his bowl cut and Harry Potter glasses, he'd, he'd grab his, cu- his plate and he'd go up to it. And my parents just kind of let me, it's a buffet, do whatever you want. So I've got like eight rolls, a bunch of pepperonis, some lemon pudding, and like, you know, maybe a piece of like ham. Like there's all this vegetable, it's like beautiful color. Ew, that's gross. Oh, all this protein I should be eating? No, no. I don't want that. I only want this, 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 and this. That's great for a buffet. That's terrible when it comes to the gospel. Because you and I don't have the authority to stand over the Scriptures like we do a salad bar and say, no, 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 no. It's either all of it or none of it. So we don't get, disciples don't get to pick their message. Our message is repent and believe. You say, I only like half of that. Well, that's fine, but you're not a believer then. Because the Gospel's clear. We've got, we've got churches say, well, you just need to love. God is love, but you've got to understand He's also a God of wrath and that you're a sinner and that you need to turn from your sin and believe. Not only do we not get to pick our message, we don't get to alter the message. I can't change it. 
There's a lot of places that are so-called churches where they just want to make the gospel more palatable because the gospel offends. You better believe it does. It hits right at the core of who we are. You are a sinner in need of a holy God. If you continue on your path, you're on your way to hell. If they hated Jesus, please, please understand, they will hate you as well. That's why Jesus says count the cost. You're giving up your life. You're going to spiritual warfare. If we get the gospel wrong, brothers and sisters, we are leading people to hell. Mark Dever said this, quote, a church confused about the gospel is worse than worthless. It is a blocked exit. It's an elevator to hell. Teachers, we've got to get the gospel right and continually, continually teach it here. So disciples spend time with Christ. Disciples declare the message, but they also do what Christ did. Real quickly here, I have to hurry. Verse 15, 14 again. And he, and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So in the immediate context here, Jesus gives them the authority to preach and he also gives them the authority to cast out demons. We find out from another passage, they're also going to have the authority to work miracles. Now I'm telling you right now, the reason he's doing this for them is so that they can authenticate the messenger. Yes, we are from God. We are representatives of Christ. Here's what Jesus did, and here's what we can do. You cannot, and I'm not going to get into it today, cast out demons by your own authority, and you cannot heal people on your own authority. But we can still reflect and live like Christ. Well, how do we do that? We love God and we love others. Jesus was completely devoted to the Father. Everything He did was in submission to the Father. And you and I need to understand that we are to be devoted to God just like Christ was devoted to the Father. But not only is, he, is there a love for God, but that love for others. I love how Jesus interacts with people. He, we have to interact, for example, in our speech. We speak the truth in love, Ephesians says. We speak the truth in love. We proclaim the gospel. We love others by our deeds and actions. We serve widows and orphans. We serve our neighbors, our family, and our friends. We die to self so that God may be glorified in our lives. So what does a disciple do? A disciple spends time with Christ. They declare Christ's message, and they reflect Christ. They live like Christ. That leads to our second question now, or second point. Who can be a disciple? Well, textually speaking, Jesus is specifically calling these 12 out for a purpose. Let's look at them. Again, begin verse 16. He appointed the 12, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot. Jesus has called 
12 men for the specific purpose. And in reality, He's called all of us. In fact, when Christ dies, He raises again. He gives the great commission to the apostles and He says what? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing, teaching. What are they doing? They're making disciples. And what's the, look of, what's the book of Acts about? Them going and making disciples. You're in Christian school. Guess what? We're trying to make disciples. But the question is, who can be a disciple? In our account here, it's rather interesting. It's a mixed group of guys. Usually when you think about putting together like this awesome all-star team, I remember growing up in the early, in the, I was born in 83, which makes me old now. Um, and so I remember uh, the summer of uh, 92, I think it was, uh, I was with my grandparents for the summer, for about a month, and the dream team. The U.S. was putting together their awesome basketball team. Every country of the Olympics puts together their basketball team. We put together the dream team. Michael Jordan, David Robinson, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. We beat everybody by 40 in our sleep. I mean, these were awesome. These are the best of the best. So when you're putting a team together, you want the best of the best. But look what Jesus does. He puts together a couple fishermen. About four of them. He puts together a tax collector, Matthew. He brings in a religious zealot, Simon. And these people, under normal circumstances, really wouldn't go together well. You don't put a zealot and a tax collector together because he views him as a traitor, and that's not going to be good. So Jesus, what he does is he takes men that he's chosen and says, I'm going to use you with all these different backgrounds. And that's the beauty of it, as we'll see kind of through the later passage I won't get into, is that the family of God has nothing to do with blood and has everything to do with faith. You're not a Christian because you're born into a Christian home. You're a Christian because you've turned from your sins and given your life to Jesus Christ. You're not a Christian because your parents are in ministry. You're a Christian because you've turned from your sins and given your life to Jesus Christ. You're not a Christian because you go to a Christian school. You're not a Christian because you're born in a Judeo-Christian society. You're a Christian because you turn from your sins and give your life to Jesus Christ. So who does does God call? What kind of people are qualified to be disciples? If I may, let me read to you 1 Corinthians 1 real quick. Verses 26, he says, Paul tells the church, he says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise or the brilliant of society according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose, He chose, He chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. God takes joy in using common man to be his disciples. Do you know what else he takes? Hold your spot there and go to 1 Corinthians 6. 
1 Corinthians 6. Who does Jesus call to be his followers? First Corinthians six. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First Corinthians. First Corinthians six. Paul still writing, verse nine. Paul is calling out the church and the sins that, that God hates. First Corinthians. 6 verse 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous, that's the ungodly, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Sinners don't get into heaven. Do not be deceived. In other words, understand this. Ready? Here we go. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. If you are this person, you're not getting in. But look at verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. God in His good pleasure takes awful, filthy sinners and He claims them by the Gospel and says, you're mine. So if you're here and you're a sinner, congratulations. There's options for you to become a follower of Jesus Christ. He takes homosexuals. He takes the sexually broken. He takes drunkards. He takes these people and He cleans them off and says He's mine. Ephesians says He takes His enemies and He adopts them and brings them in to be His children. If you're here and you recognize that you're in sin, Jesus calls you to repent of your sins and give Him your life so you can be His follower. This brings us to our third point because I need to hurry. Not everyone who claims to be a disciple is a disciple. I don't have time to get into the rest of Mark. But in Mark 22 verses 22 through thir- Mark 3 verse 22 through 30, the scribes come down and they don't believe. They're the religious people. They're the theologians of the day. They're the ones that are really good with studying the law, but the problem is they're terrible at studying the law because they think that laws by works that salvation is by works, but really it's by grace through faith. So these religious people would say, we would say, oh man, these religious people, man, they have a relationship with God. No, they don't. In fact, we go down a little farther here, and it says, verse 31, and his mother and his brothers came. That's his family. That's Mary and his brothers. Jesus had half-brothers and half-sisters. After, after the incarnation, Mary and Joseph had a normal, healthy relationship between a man and a wife, and it produced half-brothers, half-sisters. We know them by name. And they don't believe. They're literally related physically to the Messiah, and they don't believe. It's not until after the resurrection will they believe. Who are those who believe? Who, is, who are disciples? Who's in the family of God? It's the disciples. It's those who believe by faith. But Jesus calls them, and again, verse 18, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James and Thaddeus and Simon and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. So inside this inner circle, Jesus calls, there's one who looks like a disciple, but really he's not. I'll tell you right now, I get hammered as a pastor because I'm not the one that's, I, I, I think it's important that we're discerning 
Someone comes to me and says they're a believer. That's great, but I take it with a grain of salt. I'm one of those guys that's like, prove it to me. Prove it to me. Someone will have a conversation, well, such and such, that, you know, they're Christian. Well, just, just because they say you're a Christian doesn't mean they're a Christian. Judas is literally walking with Jesus. He's going to go the rest of the book and see all the miracles. He's going to see all the teachings. He's going to hear it. He's going to be there, and he's going to miss it. And you realize that he's in it for greedy gain because he's going to follow Jesus. But once Jesus starts talking about how he's going to die in Mark chapter 8, what's happening is Jesus, Judas tries to find a way to sell him out. Because remember, if Jesus is the Messiah, that's exciting because if I'm next to the Messiah, when he comes to his kingdom, then I'm going to be benefited and blessed and have position and money and wealth. But my Messiah is going to die now. Can I cash him out? What's the cash value for a Galilean Messiah? 30 pieces of silver, by the way. And where does Judas end up? Or where does Judas end up? Hell. You hear a lot of people named Peter and Simon and Andrew. You don't find a lot of Judases. But the same way you don't hear a lot of, hey, we named our daughter Jezebel today. Because there's a negative connotation. These people don't believe. Students, please understand. There's coming a day on the day of judgment. Jesus says in Matthew 7, when many will stand before Christ and say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things for you. And he's going to say, I don't even know who you are. Depart from me. I think they're, they're in a group this size. I can make the statement that there are probably people in here who are self-deceived. You think you're a Christian, you think you're a follower of Christ, but it's not because you've turned from your sins and given your life to Christ. You've gone through the motions like Judas has. You've been around Christ, you've been around church, but at the end of the day, you've never, your heart's never been changed. You don't, you don't bask in the glory of God. You don't, you're not in His Word. You don't preach His Word. You don't spend time with Him. You don't serve like you do. You don't love like He does. You love yourself and do your own thing. There's a hypocrisy there that shows that you're not in So let me close by saying two points. This will be the easiest e-group discussion you've ever had. Number one, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Subpoint: <laughs> Is there evidence? Is there proof? There's an old saying that if you were arrested for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to prove you guilty? Is there evidence? You say you're a follower of Christ, prove it. What from your life shows that at all? Do you spend time with the Lord? Do you love His Word? Do you serve? Do you, are you committed to His message or to your own thoughts and desires and wanting to live your own way? Because as disciples, we submit to Christ, not our own path. So are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Number two, by the way, D-group leaders, that's where we get to talk about the gospel. Point number two, brothers and sisters, those of you who know Christ, you've repented of your sins, you've given your life to Christ, where do we need to grow as we follow Him? Can I tell you right now, when I was your age, Bible reading really wasn't a thing for me as it should have been. 
I did it out of habit, not out of a proper desire. We need to be in the Word. Maybe he's, maybe you need to be treating your brother and sister better and loving them better. Maybe you need to serve them better. Maybe you actually need to be committed to your local church and get involved in there. Pray God will reveal where we need to grow. Let me close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for an opportunity to jump into the Scriptures today. And I pray that the Word of God will not return void. I pray the Spirit will do the work that only it can do. And I pray that through the D group leaders, through the teachers, through the preach word this morning, that there'll be conviction about their standing before God and that repentance will take place. And that those of, for those of us that know Christ, that we may repent and fall in line and do what we're required to do as disciples. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel and for all that you do for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.